being an entrepreneur can feel really performative because you're trying to convince people to invest or buy into what you're selling. And it's more about asking the right questions. Welcome everyone to We Talk, where we sit down with women entrepreneurs and executives and talk about successes, talk about failures, talk about a journey of your life in the professional capacity. I'm really excited today to uh, share a conversation that I had with Nadilia Nunez, who is the executive director of Ascender. And you know what? She talked a lot about the journeys that she has gone through, especially recently of stepping into her own self and creating her own definitions for things. I'm very excited to share this conversation with you, especially if you have tried to navigate the definition of who you are and how you fit into spaces. I hope that you enjoy. So... You already asked me, but I didn't get to actually ask you, where's the origin of your name? (laughs) You know, I should start keeping the piece of paper in my office because I get asked that a lot. So, yeah, I do. I do. They're like, Natalie, Nadelia, like I get all kinds of things, uh, which is great for me because I'm terrible with names. And so most of the time people forget mine. So I feel comfortable asking them, like remind me. So I'm like, you know, it works for me. But uh, right. so my name, Nadili, uh, is actually a combination of my parents' names. So my dad's name is Nadine uh, and my mom's name, my mom's name is Ivelice. So the L-I is from my mom's side. The N-A-D kind of is from my dad's side. Uh, but it was actually one name from a list of like 10 of them. And my uncle was oh. the one who picked Nadili, and I thank him for that because the other ones are terrible. I mean, talk about um, like bully-worthy names. So I'm really glad that uh, that Nadili was selected. Not that you know people didn't you know make fun of it, but I'm Dominican, so it isn't like a Dominican name. It's literally made up. If you search it, there's like people in Russia named Nadili. I don't know how they pronounce it, but they spell it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I get some, I get very, very similar. So like natively Russian people, especially since I'm in like uh, women in tech spaces a lot will come up to me and they'll just be like, are you, you know, are you from Russia? And I'm just like, no, like there's like, no, but like, I wish, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> they get so excited and then they, and then it usually does ensue some kind of like cool story about like, my second cousin's name is Misha. And like, I get to hear a little bit of like their origin stories. It's just super cool. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. I really like your name. It's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing where it came from too. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. What, do you remember one of the other like bad options? Do you, would you share some of the other bad, of the 10 that were on the list from your parents? I wish. Do you know? I wish I actually had to find that piece of paper. (laughs) I might message that to you. It was probably like, so, so my, on my mom's side, we have about five generations of women, I'm sure it dates back even more, um, where we were the only like female identifying in the cohort of children, I'm gonna call it. You know, you know, whether it was 14 kids or five or two, there's always one woman. And so the tradition is that you name your daughter, her middle name is the grandmother's name. So my middle name is Raquel. That's my grandmother's name. But my parents were trying to mix it up like Radili or like. I don't know, Ramina, you know, like some random combat. They were really into combining some 
Uh, and I'm their first kid. And so when you're, it's your first kid, you're trying to be creative. My brother just got like, everybody loves Raymond. His name is Raymond. So that's it, <laughs> you know? But yeah, they were just really into combining stuff. And it just didn't roll off the tongue that well. Uh, and it's funny because I think, to be honest, I, I still have a hard time saying my name. And, and what I mean by that is um, Nadili is not my name. Right. Nadili is the Americanized um, pronunciation of it. My name is Nadili. That's what it's supposed to be like. It's like a light D. Uh, so whenever I'm introducing myself, hey, my name is Nadili, like it still feels like it's not my name, but it is. <laughs> but it's really Nadili. Hi, I'm Nadili. But that's that's tough for people to pronounce. That is that is very tough for people to pronounce. I'm also bad with names too. And I feel so disrespectful because respect is very important to me. So like not saying a name correctly as well. So it's something I'm really trying to work on. Have you embraced the name? So you said like you didn't like it whenever you were younger. So same, like I did not like my name whenever I was... Have you embraced it in adulthood? Absolutely. I think, you know... I think I've gone through different evolutions of acceptance, right? And I think that can be true about our how we feel about ourselves in general. Uh, and so for, my mom was very upset because in elementary school, one of the elementary schools I went to, um, I went by Natalie and my mom was, am I allowed to say pissed here? My mom was very upset. <laughs> I was pissed uh, because she, like, they worked so hard. And the reason being was because when I came into that school, all the kids knew each other from the previous grade or a couple of grades before. So I was a new kid on the block. And on top of that, I have a weird name or unusual name. So I was like, oh, yeah, just call me Natalie. They still think my name is Natalie to this day. Uh, <laughs> and so, but then I, after that, I went to majority Latinx, uh, middle schools, about like 95%. I graphed my elementary, middle school, high school population just to see. But because uh, I'm like, why am I the way I am? And I think those are formative years. But they could pronounce Nadili. Like, so I, that's where I started to get acceptance for people like me. And now recently, someone said, you should just introduce yourself as Nadili. And if people have a hard time, they will naturally go Nadili. Uh, but say Nadili if that's what you want to, to say. So I'm I'm not there yet because I'm just so used to saying Nadili, but I'm working on that. I don't feel shame is just habit at this point. Very, very similar kind of, not not quite as uh, close, but my my mother loves my birth name, and I will share it with everyone now. So my my given name is Marisha, and most people call me Misha. But my mom was always super sad that people would say it incorrectly and that I kind of wouldn't own it myself as well. And even still, like, she, I think she wishes that I would embrace Marisha even 38 years into this. Um, so not the same, but, you know, mothers do have ties to the given name. And I will be honest with you, my uh, we named my, because we first born for my daughter, we combined my wife's mother first name and then my mother's first or middle name into her middle name. So her middle name is Raylene. So like we're right there with your parents of trying to be creative with uh, that name. That's beautiful. So I feel honored. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Anyways, Nadili, thanks for coming on. 
I'm super excited to talk. So you and I run in similar spaces, but I don't know that we've ever had like a genuine, I think, feel like this is like the first real conversation and we haven't even gotten into anything other than like, I guess we got into a lot, but I'm really excited to talk about, you know, you and Ascender and, and what you've done stepping into that space. Cause I think you stepped into the space of ED and then what, six four months, months later, pandemic? Misha, four months. Four months. <laughs> four months. So, all right, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get mm-hmm. to that. But let's go ahead and uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about, so about Ascender. Yeah. So uh, my name is Navili Nunez. And I'm originally from New York City, actually Dominican Republic. My mom flew to Miami to, so I could be a natural born citizen and then flew back to Dominican Republic before we moved to New York. Uh, so I think that just being an immigrant provides a lot of experiences that I've applied to my work life in general. I came to Pittsburgh. I'd never been to Pittsburgh before. And I came here during orientation day. Like I hadn't even visited CMU when I moved. Um, so that was a interesting decision. They came to my school. My school was a, my high school was an engineering focused school. So they came to my school to talk to us. I had to convince my mom to let me go to CMU because when you're an immigrant, all you know is like Columbia University, Harvard, Yale, all this stuff. Um, I had gotten accepted to American University in DC. So she she's familiar with DC. So she doesn't know Carnegie Mellon. And then she's Latina. So she's like, what's that Carnegie Mellon? Like, what is that? You know? <laughs> And Pittsburgh, even even less, right? Um, I had to literally have my college counselor print out school rankings to show her like CMU is a really good school compared to where I had gotten accepted to. And that's the only reason I ended up here because my mom, you know, let me go to Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> and uh, so, so I came here and I, and I decided to, I, I studied econ, but moved to decision science while I was at CMU. I felt like it gave me a better understanding of the world than just econ. And through that, um, I got to make some great connections where I temporarily moved to Harrisburg. And while I was in Harrisburg, I got a great opportunity to work for Upprise, which I'm sure a lot of listeners here are familiar. Um, it was run by Kate Dewey at the time. It was under the Forbes funds. And I got to work for, for that program for about two years, two and a half years. And it was stinking amazing. Um, We grew it so much it had to move to where is now IW because there was a lot more of a team there than we were, you know, we were a small but mighty team. But I I used that opportunity to kind of do a little bit less project focused work and build more from an organizational perspective. And that's where I moved to uh, Ascender as operations director. And I was very lucky that I, you know, was at the right place at the right time, met with preparedness for the role. I think it was like 11 months into being operations director, I was promoted to executive director of the organization. That's like a very condensed version of a little bit of my background. Do you mind talking a little bit? Because I'm I'm actually just intrigued myself of what decision science is. Yeah, decision science. So every day we make decisions, right? And sometimes we think it's from our own coming from our core. And sometimes it's actually made for us when we don't realize it. So when you think about, you know, you go to, if you, if you remember going to the lunchroom or if you go to, you know, if you have kids, you go to their lunchroom, you think about the placement of food. What's first? Is it the salad? Is it the pizza? Is it the milk? And in schools where they're trying to improve, for example, the health decision-making of kids, they go for what's first or what's reachable, right? So 
put the salad closer to their height and first versus the pizza where they have to tiptoe to get the pizza. And you tend to see an increase of, let's say, salad consumption when you do something like that. And so decision science often is building the world around you to help influence, ideally for the good of creating better decisions and other situations that can be used to help, you know, encourage people to buy those expensive boots that you really shouldn't buy, <laughs> um, depending how you put them on the website or how you talk about them. Um, I always like to use it for good. Um, this also can be connected, let's say, to employee benefits where you you have to opt out of um, having a 401k versus an opt-in format. So all of these kind of uh, ways life is set up around us to encourage behavior or discourage behavior. And so decision science thinks about that. Or even when you think about the supermarket, a uh, supermarket that's smart will either put their own brand or a brand that they'll um, receive greater margins on at the eye level shelf versus the ones with the least margins at the bottom shelf. They don't want you to kneel down like, all right, we already got the population that whose knees hurt. They're not going to buy the ones at the bottom, right? We're going to force them to buy where we're going to have better margins. So that's kind of uh, what decision science does in both people, products, life. That's, that's what it does. So people who end up studying this can go into consulting, can go into risk management, can go into managing organizations or creating policy as well. I remember there was an issue we were learning about of how do you encourage folks to pay for the child support that they owe, right? Well, instead of a white envelope, use a yellow envelope because for some reason people find, think, believe that things that are important come in a yellow envelope. I don't know where that comes from, but it does. And they had a bigger open rate of these kinds of letters. So that's kind of what decision science is. It, it is a combination of uh, management science, uh, philosophy of stats, cognitive psychology, um, and economics. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So I, I mentioned I have a three-year-old and I'm constantly learning, you know, a lot of things that, you know, we're really intentional about like uh, having her on social media and so on and so forth. But one of the things I realized, heard, was that same thing. For kids, they put the high margin things in the bottom one to two shelves so that the kids will see them, right? You put them higher up, they won't actually see them. And it was like, of course, someone has thought through this, but I didn't think that they were that intentional about this. But they are very intentional about that. So that was like kind of mind blowing for me. So let's kind of bring it back to sure. Ascender. So um, how have you integrated a lot of your, you know, the decision science into either what you're bringing into Ascender or even how you're talking to a lot of the entrepreneurs that you're talking to at Ascender? Yeah. And I'll try to keep it to a few examples because I think decision science is just... To be honest, I feel like it just formalized the way I already was um, experiencing life, if you know what I mean. So, you know, I grew up with um, food stamps, housing assistance, all those things. And my mom, my mom's number one worry is like she didn't want me to be pregnant or going the wrong path before I got an education or before I, you know, was on the path for independence. And she would spend hours, Misha, talking to me about not from a gossiping perspective, but talking about other people from a place of how decisions lead to certain outcomes, good or bad. And she would make it even a point to like take me to different parks around New York City, both in the like, quote unquote, good neighborhoods and quote unquote, bad neighborhoods and say, you know, which one do you want to be in? All right, do you want to be in this one? Well, here are the things that require in life for you to be able to get there. And so I always was thinking about how decisions impact results or outcomes. And so now when I went to CMU, I had like words for it. 
<laughs> or like academic words for it. And so when I come to Ascender, you know, I one of the first things I started to think about is how do we make Ascender a more inclusive place? And that has to do with removing the some of the academic terms that we were using to refer to entrepreneurs. So at the time when I joined, we often referred to entrepreneurs as like startups. We just said startups. Startups are startups. There are a lot of people who have businesses who don't consider themselves startups. In fact, we found in our when we were interviewing people that a lot of um women that we were that we were speaking to wouldn't call themselves entrepreneurs even right and so what we decided to do was expand even it made it a longer sentence of saying startups entrepreneurs business owners just so that people start to say like, know that we are talking to you you know and it's our job to meet you where you're at and instead of saying maybe like customer discovery we might say hey have you talked to people about this how many people have you talked to because what I realize is not realize, but what we are communicating, we value is someone who does the work then as opposed to knows the term. You know what I mean? I prefer someone who actually does a hundred interviews of potential customers and someone who knows the term and hasn't done it yet. And so we really looked at the language on our website and our newsletters and everything and the way we're talking about entrepreneurship to be a little bit more personable. We started to use more faces in our in our communications as well. We started to have a little bit more personality, right? Um, Not so kind of corporate speak, right? Just be a little bit more casual, more approachable. And those things were very, very intentional in in the way that that, um, we started to attract more folks too. We also ensured that our facilitators are also, let's say, diverse in, in both experience, racial, gender, age, so that people are seeing themselves also from a place of expertise, not just the recipient of information. So all these small things that look effortless on the outside of the center is a lot of conversation we're having internally about decisions. The fact that even for the application, Misha, for our incubator, we decided to create a glossary of terms so that people can, if they don't really understand what the question is referring to, or it's the first time they're answering this question and it's not formed in a way that they're used to, we have an explanation. Like, what are we actually asking about here? Here's what you can understand. And we're educating people in that way. And so all of that, or even something as like, how long is this application? You know, <laughs> yes, we want to know 30 things, but like, that's unreasonable to ask of people. They're not going to stay there for that long. So those small decisions. And then as a manager, you know, as a leader, I'm thinking of my team too. How do I get them to grow in a way that they feel like they're taking the lead, right? And so even though I know I might, I might be right about something, I'd be like, hmm, tell me what you think. You know, my concern is this. How would you solve it? No, no, I think it's going to work. All right, all right. And I know it's not going to work. It's like, all right, how about next week? You can you draw it out the way you're saying? Because I just don't seem to see it, but like maybe I'm just being dense. And they come back the next week and they're like, Yeah, I don't think this is gonna work. I go, Oh, that's really interesting. You know, like just how do we how do you set it up so that they they can't? So there are many ways that you can apply decision science in the program design and the way you manage a team. I just created a kudos cafeteria um, Slack channel where for team morale, like give people. Um, support and gratitude publicly as well. So all of these small decisions, small things um, will influence behavior. And I'm constantly thinking about that. I, I will say from someone outside, so because you had said, you know, you're not sure if people either see externally the the impact that you have made. 
I will say from someone who is external, I have seen it. So I think you should be really proud of a lot of the decisions that you have made because I have definitely seen a shift in the businesses that do come into Ascender and sort of how people talk about Ascender. So I think you should be really proud of that. I wanted to give like that special little kudos. And I'm also sitting over here and laughing because I'm currently going through a growth spurt very similar to what you're talking about where I need to foster a team that sort of makes the mistakes and learns on their own. And over here, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't do that. And then like, I also just kind of want to like, just say like, it, it would be so much more efficient if I just told you. So you're speaking a little to my soul. I kind of want to like come and sit next to you to learn a couple of things here or there. But I think, you know, as any any leader, right? Like we we do have to to grow in that space some way, shape or form. So I love that you've, you've really incorporated a lot of that decision uh, science into what it is that you're building. I also, you gave a couple of examples. I really love all of your social media. All of the copy is talking about focusing on diverse and, and being inclusive to all businesses. And you talked a little bit about that sort of origin and some of the things that you've done. Is there any other examples? Because myself included, I've been very intentional at A, the spaces that I'm stepping into and B, the team that I have and making sure that that is an inclusive and diverse uh, group. And it's hard. It's very hard. You have to be very intentional about that. And you've gotten to what I see on, on your guys' website. 50% is minority uh, or BIPOC-owned businesses that you're helping at Ascender. That takes a lot of intentionality. So is there anything, any other examples that you can give uh, or maybe even speak to? Because that's a big shift in the last three years. Yeah. Example of like how we do it or are there examples in which we are inclusive? So you had said, you know, you change your application process. Uh, maybe like how do you reach a lot of these other companies uh, that are BIPOC or minority owned in order to get them into a sender? So how, how are you maintaining this? So where do I start? <laughs> Here's the thing, Misha, it's not rocket science. Okay. And so I think depending on who I'm talking to, I would give different advice and we're, you know, we're getting to know each other more. So this might not be applicable to you, but I often tell people, stop hanging out with the same people you hang out. Like Pittsburgh is notorious of like, we go to the different events and we just see the same people and we feel comfortable in that. Right. Go outside, like go be the one white person in the room, go be the like only, you don't know anyone else, go by yourself, talk to people. And I think when you do that, you start to understand, I, I think particularly the BIPOC community, let's even pick on specifically the black community is only seen by the color of their skin, I should say. Whereas like, these are whole people, you know what I mean? Who have interests. Like I've gone to, I've gone to an erotic poetry night that was organized by the black community. I don't know anyone. I just kind of went, right? Actually, I happened to know one person and I was the lightest person in the room. I'm just, and I'm just talking to people. I'm not thinking like I'm in a black room. I'm thinking about like, I'm around some really talented, creative people. And I'm laughing next to the person, you know, with the person next to me. And I'm like, saying, wow, that was a beautiful poem to someone else. Or like, yeah, like, yeah, that's right. You know, it's just go to things that you don't typically go to or go, you know, people like music, go to venues where 
maybe you won't know someone there. And just talk to folks. I've had incubation participants, sorry, bootcamp participants that I met at a house party that I went to, that I was a plus one to. You know what I mean? And it's just like, just do things with people you do not know and talk to them and treat them as people. Not as like someone who's going to help you get to a certain stats on your end of year report. And when, when folks notice that that's what you're there, like that you're there for them as a person, then the best thing is that they'll tell other people that they're seen as people at this place, not as just someone who can diversify their photo, you know, their photo album to post on social media. Do you know what I mean? And the other piece is like, don't be satisfied with having one person of color and the one woman or the one, you know, LGBTQ person in. No, like, that's not enough. Um, one, they need to have other people like them in, in the community because I think everyone, it is important to understand people have unique experiences given you know their um, intersectionality. But at the same time, why is one enough? You know, <laughs> why is one enough? And so for us, I think we, we make sure we're in spaces that represent the different groups that we're trying to reach. And just sometimes it's just showing up and just just showing up and seeing how we can help or not saying anything. Um, meeting with a lot of these leaders of these communities from a personal level, again, not just like, oh, we're only talking to you because you're, you represent a diverse group. Like, no, you're, again, a human being who has their own expertise and intelligence, and I value you as such. And that's it. That's, that, it really isn't that hard. And then the other pieces for me, and I think my team does a good job in doing that, too, is just like educate yourself. I think that there are people who, because, you know, they, first of all, we're all racist in one way or another, sexist in one way or another, because we are um, born in a system that teaches, like it just throws that into you. And so we have a lot of unlearning to do. And so I think I get frustrated when people who are doing equity or DEI work, or they provide a mini grant for an underrepresented group, that they are somehow now the expert or like, no, I've, I'm done learning. You know, like, no, <laughs> that's dumb. You know, and so the continuous thought of, of learning. And so, you know, whether you look at my Instagram feed or my you know, YouTube channel, I'm constantly trying to hear the perspectives of groups unlike me. And those like me too, right? I'm, I'm Latina, I'm a woman, but I don't, There, we all have our own experiences. And so continuously ensuring that we're hearing the voices of different people. That way, I'm not putting the burden on the entrepreneur who's um, trans, not the burden on them to teach me unless they volunteer to do that, but that should not be their burden. I need to educate myself on my own way. So that's my long winded way of saying like educate, treat people more than just the marginalized identity that they have, which is a small portion of much more than who they are. Uh, and I think people will realize like they'll, they'll come to you. I'll tell, I'll say, tell you this, Misha, and you can cut this out, <laughs> but I remember I was in a conversation and this is this is where my perspective that I just shared comes from, um, part in part. I was in a conversation where someone was applying for a grant and th the grant had a rubric that gave you extra points if you had an equity component to whatever you're applying for. So if you are being thoughtful about it, you get extra points, which like, all right, you know, they're encouraging that. Awesome. And they asked me the same question that you asked me, like, you know, how are you doing it? And we were in a group, you know, how are you doing it? And I said exactly what I told you, stop hanging out with the same people, make new friends. 
I even said, like, go to block parties of different neighborhoods that you are typically not a part of, like, just go and get to know the community. And they literally said, like, well, you know, in this app, like, I don't think saying I'm going to go to the block party is going to win me any money. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were genuinely trying to, you know, connect with this community, not tokenize them for money. And that's the issue in Pittsburgh. People are using BIPOC women, LGBTQ community as way of money or attention or PR versus like genuinely trying to understand who they are and support them. That's my problem. And that's why sometimes I don't always share how I do it because I don't feel like a lot of people actually care. I'm not sure that's problematic. <laughs> I, I I had a similar story. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of racism built in that I am constantly unlearning. And I'll admit I was one of those sort of white woke during George Floyd. And, and, and same thing where my quote unquote woke mo- moment was I went to like a round table discussion with a group of black women and I was the only white woman in the room. And I was like, this is very uncomfortable. I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no lived experience. And I did, I just shut up and I just listened. And I was like, this must be what my BIPOC other humans feel walking into a predominantly white room, how uncomfortable it is, how much you just don't see yourself represented. And then from there, you know, you you can only do a certain amount of learning by reading and consuming articles, although those are really great things. But I love your message of immersing yourself into the community that you're trying to understand or that you just kind of want to, you know, be a part of to grow yourself. I will also say from from my standpoint, one of the biggest things that I've had to do is also self-reflection when I'm in a situation and that ingrained racism has kind of come through or not even racism, but just sort of lack of understanding because of my privilege, I have to sort of reflect back and say, oh, I did that thing and know for the next time that to not do that thing. So it's been an experience for me too, but I absolutely love your message. And and it is very difficult, but it is easy once you start sort of that motion and being intentional of a lot of the spaces that you're stepping into. So it's amazing. It's an amazing message. And I love what you guys are doing uh, with the sender. Do you mind talking a little bit? So I'm actually kind of curious and you could say that there really isn't a factor, but you you talk to a lot of businesses and you've seen a lot you know, succeed and you've seen some fail. Is there anything from your experience that sort of makes one, one business owner, one business more of a success than others? Yeah, it's hard to to put it into one or one or two things, but I will I will mention a couple. I think people undervalue the customer discovery component of the process. And so for those who are listening and you know, what does that mean? It's it's talking to your customer, understanding who your customer is, right? There's a difference between a user and a customer. Customer is the one who's giving you the money. Sometimes your user could be college students. But your customer is really the college giving you the money for the app. So you have to know that difference. But talking to to as many as possible, because you really have to understand not only, hey, would you use this? Like, of course, it would if it makes it easier. But 
how, what's the decision process for spending the money on this, right? And so the only way to do that is to understand who's the decision maker, what is important to them, what KPIs they need to tell their boss, and how can you contribute to improving those KPIs? And it makes it, you know, how do you make it a no-brainer? And the only way is to continuously talking to customers. There is um, this really, really smart um, entrepreneur who I work with in a different capacity who the way she gets new customers is just asking people, hey, I have this product. I just want feedback on it. You know, she still kind of pretends like she's a startup, but she's got Sephora on, you know, as a client. She's got, you know, Accenture as a client. She's got St. Jude's Hospital as a client, you know, but they're still relatively early, you know, compared to a more established one, of course. But she's like, I just want feedback. And just curious, like, how does your, de- how does your department work? Hmm, you know, and, and what's important is like, I just mentioned four, three different companies who are in two different, three different industries, right? Every industry can be different. So she should continuously be learning because it changes on the size, the industry, all these things. And she gets to land these customers because she's doing that. So I think the folks who really understand their customer tend to um, be very, very fast in, um, in getting to market and get, like actually generating revenue. Um, because there are a lot of entrepreneurs who fall in love so much with their product. They want it to be perfect and the dots are in the right place and this and that. And they spend all this time and money to something that's going to probably change immensely once they actually get it to market anyway. <laughs> so I think customer discovery is a big part. I'll say the other thing, and you know, you you talked about this too, Misha, just in our earlier conversation, is the founder who gets to know themselves a lot more too. And so this is why Ascender tends to be more of a founder-focused approach than the company approach, because the development of the entrepreneur themselves is really important. Because when you get all those no's or when you're hiring something or when someone says your baby's ugly, that's where your who you are really shows up. <laughs> and, and so really, I think a lot of introspection of where your strengths and weaknesses are, how do you manage those in those circumstances? How do you ask for help? But I would say those are the two main things. Telling a founder that they need to be more self-reflective, I, I can only imagine as being a tough conversation. Like I would assume, right? Or do you kind of like like telling people about themselves? Not that you like telling people about themselves, but like I, that's, I mean, that's really hard. I mean, I'm I'm currently going through that and I have someone helping me with this and I'm still kind of like, no, that's not right. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I mean, I'm growing a lot, but that's hard for someone to to say like, you should really check yourself. So that's got to be hard for you to have that conversation. It is. It is really hard. And we also feel comfortable being wrong too, right? So we don't actually try to tell as much. We try to listen. So instead of saying, this is who you are, we say, why are you doing that? Why is that important to you? What, what would happen if this happened? Does that come from anywhere? You know, and it's more about asking the right questions and letting them get to that conclusion. And in some cases, you know, when I meet with some entrepreneurs and I'm more on the like organizational level, but when I meet with entrepreneurs and especially they, a lot of them come to me for their pitch where I'm getting to know their businesses, I'm like, why aren't you doing this? Does that, that doesn't make sense. I've had entrepreneurs cry, not because I was mean, you know, (laughs) 
But like we're hitting at the heart of things, right? Because I think it's easy, especially being an entrepreneur can feel really performative because you're trying to convince people to invest or buy into what you're selling. But, and you might sometimes lose out on the opportunity to actually really reflect like, well, why is it you're approaching it this way? Why are you having a hard time? Why aren't you addressing this component, this, that, or the other? And I think it is a really hard conversation, but I know that for me, I ultimately want our entrepreneurs to win. And I want them to be thoughtful because if they can do that for themselves, they'll do that for employees. They'll do that for tough situations when a customer says no, or a customer's trying to push them to like get a discount that they shouldn't be giving them. You know, it's like they stand and they know to stand in their power because they know who they are. They know what they stand for and why they stand for it. And so it's hard because every entrepreneur also receives it differently. Some get defensive. There have been times where an entrepreneur gets mad and like doesn't want to talk to us. And then they come back and like, all right, I thought about it, you know? And so we have to know for each entrepreneur, what's the line that is okay to to walk? Because we do, our job is to push them because that's the way for them to grow. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So do you mind briefly talking about the pandemic? So you said four months into being ED and you had some experience of a sender but did any did the pandemic change anything for you? It changed everything. It changed everything for everyone. You know, coming in, frankly, I didn't have a team. It was me and my another person. And I had to build the team. We actually had an employee whose first day was the day of the lockdown. <laughs> so he came in, got his laptop, went home. <laughs> It's like, wow, on your first day, you're already leaving early, you know? But but he ended up being an awesome employee. But I mean, it was, it was hard because no one, I'm a big proponent. I've learned to have both an official board, but also a personal board of directors and ask them for the things that I don't know, ask them, what do I do in this situation? What happens when no one in your board and personal board directors know what the heck to do? it's a little relieving because it's like we're all on the same playing field in a sense and we're forces collaboration what are you doing what's happening here all this stuff um but it's survival mode you're in survival mode essentially not only for us but to ensure our entrepreneurs are okay i think it was i don't i don't even know how to explain it it was just sort of how do we ensure a sender is existing after this but at the same time we don't save babies Do you know what I mean? I think in the pandemic, we realized like what's important. And our focus was how do we ensure our entrepreneurs are going to be okay? And if we're around, great. If we're not around, okay. But we're not saving babies. And we rather money go to people who are saving babies, right? And so, yeah, it was just really tough. I think for me, being an ED was already going to be a big learning curve. I think the pandemic put my learning on a fast track. And my team too, as well. Um, not to mention, you know, to get a little personal here, we we do a boot camp around every April or May. It's like one of our biggest programs, the five day boot camp. We bring about twenty companies. Uh, we turn all of that virtual last minute, right? So it's March lockdown. We have to turn this all virtual. It's the team. No one on the team had been a, done a boot camp before. I just hired all of them in like a three month span. <laughs> And, um, and so we're a team of five and then I had to have, um, I had a personal emergency where I had to have emergency surgery. So I couldn't even be at the virtual boot camp because I was like recovering. 
And I think it kind of brought us together. And if anything, it allowed the team to feel ownership of the organization in a certain way too. Like we're all trying to figure this out. You're not coming into a place. It has some history, but we're in a rebuild mode and we're in a pandemic mode. So we're just going to come together and, and make it happen. So I think for the organization, it was really, really tough. I think for me, everyone, if for everyone, it was really tough. I'm not special. I do think that it was hard. I've said that I said this to my team, so I feel comfortable saying it here. Most days I'm an extroverted person and I couldn't go anywhere. And most days I was like, I don't know what the state of Ascender is going to be. I don't know what's going on in the world, but I need to give some stability to my team. So I would wake up like 15 minutes before our daily team check-in video and just like do the like, all right, Nadili, come on. You know, you have to come in with a smile and, you know, give my team whatever energy they need to feel like things might be okay. Um, Or at least this be a distraction to whatever's going on in their life. And as soon as we turn off the video from the meeting, I would go back to bed because I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Um, So there was a lot, I think, for all of us. Again, not a unique experience. Um, The pandemic, I think, in some ways, um, really leveled the playing field with my peers where we all kind of connected and what are we doing? How are you doing this? How can we help our entrepreneurs and work together? So it was a nice way to come together and see how people kind of stepped in to ensure that that we supported each other. But yeah, that was was rough. Yeah. Looking back on it myself too, one of the things I wish, because I was very similar, you know, rallied my team, but it was it was heavy because it was so much uncertainty. Uh, and and I talked to someone who went through the 2008 bubble mm-hmm. as well. And, and she had said, and this was after, I wish I kind of knew her before. And she had said, I learned from the 2008 that we just kind of, we, we did what we knew. Like we really went in and just did what we knew and practiced patience on it. And I thought, wow, that was so wise because there was a lot of times where I was burning a lot of energy um, in the uncertainty. And I kind of wish I would have just sort of stuck to what we've known, focused on my family, gone inward and practiced a little bit of patience because there was, you know, one of the things about the pandemic that I, I I was grateful for, right? Though I don't want the pandemic ever again, but I felt like the nation did focus on the small businesses and how can we help these small businesses that are suffering? And I was very grateful for that. There was money funneled into it. Um, and I I was appreciative of that during this time of uncertainty. So I, although never want the pandemic again, um, but having a little bit of your perspective on that. Um, do you mind if we talk a little bit? Because you mentioned your personal board. Mm-hmm. So personal versus the, obviously a sender has a board. I, it's the first kind of term. I think I understand what it is. Do you mind explaining a little bit of what it is and, and honestly how you've chosen the people on your board? Yeah, and sure. So personal board to me it, are the people who are invested in my success. So my board, of course, are invested in my success, but they're first and foremost, it's a sender, Right. I'm looking for people who who are invested in my success, or even if they don't care about me, they at least have expertise that I can tap into that will be helpful for where I'm trying to go or where I am. And so I think a lot of them 
happen accidentally. I will say the most intentional I was about it was when I was offered the um, ED position, which I first declined. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I first declined it. I know, I know. I first declined it. Um, I don't like to sign up for anything that I don't feel I could do a good job at. I'm very happy that you finally <laughs> accepted because you have made a huge impact. Uh, so Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Well, I, I will always name Kate Dewey in this. Kate Dewey is one of my personal board of directors. She was my boss. We actually just had breakfast the other day. But I, I called her and I said, listen, like this is an opportunity. I don't know if I can do it. And, and she was like, all right, well, let's let's put on the list of everything you think is needed to be an, a successful ED, regardless of you, regardless of whatever. What do you think? All right. We listed all the things and we referred to the job description. And he said, okay, of these things, what do you feel fairly comfortable with? You write it down. Of the things you don't feel comfortable with, who do you know can help you provide insight in these areas? Whether it's sales, um, governance, finance, whatever it might be. And can you call, like in a way that you can call upon them to do that? And I was like, the so, 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 blah, blah, blah. And the list was full, whether with my name or someone else's name. And they said, all right, I, I'm going to do this because I have these people. And so these are folks you can either set up a meeting or just call for like a quick 15 minute. Hey, what do you think of this? And they give you some good advice. Um, now, everyone gives advice based on the context of which they obtain that expertise. Right. So, you know, you know, I, a great example is I, I won't name her, but there's this one woman who like really grew up in the era where she was typically the only woman in the boardroom. Right. And so she has a certain perspective of like how I, she thinks I need to be presenting in certain areas that might not be as applicable today. But it's still helpful to know because those rooms still exist, right? And so I, I often find, you know, board of directors who have experience in like corporate setting, nonprofit setting, finance, sales, those who can really like ask the really good questions that get to the heart of what I'm trying to do, where I'm sometimes like spiraling in my mind, what about this and what about that? Like, they're like, Nadili, chill. What is, it, what is it that you're trying to do? that doesn't matter. This matters. You can't control this. You can't control this and really help me like break things down. I often have board of directors, personal board of directors that I know will give me opposite advice. And I will call them both because I want to hear both sides. Right. One is like softer, more like play the game while the other one's like F the game. You do you. Right. (laughs) And I choose, I still choose, right. What I want to do. And how do I obtain them? Honestly, it's, I don't send them an invitation. I don't think many of them had a choice. <laughs> Honestly, it just starts with, I feel like this person can give me a really great perspective in A, B, C, or D, or all of the above. Let me sit down and talk to them. And I ask very um, intentional questions. I give my perspective. And I think that through me sharing who I am and being critical thinker and ask them a little bit more, they start getting invested in me. And they sometimes reach out to me and, Hey, how are you doing? Let's meet up. Let's make sure you're all right. What do you need? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's just identifying the people who, who you think can give you advice and also understand you or who don't understand you, right. And represent a community that you don't understand. And they're like, oh, now I see your thinking because that's the thinking of these other folks I'm trying to like figure out. So it's it's a little complex and it you don't have, some people do meet up with some of them on a regular basis, maybe weekly, maybe monthly. I don't, I just kind of call ad hoc as I need them. But yeah, that's, does that answer your question? Uh, yes. Do you find it needing to be 
Do you find it uh, being a two-way street? Most of... Or is it usually just you calling? uh, Most of the time, it's me calling. Or I think what they gain out of it, a lot of them is, especially when it's um, women, they see some, like they see themselves in me. And so they are just generally mentoring other people like me or young professionals in general. So that's what they gain out of it. Or, you know, they just... I like to think I'm good company. So I'm coming to dinner. We're laughing. We're having a good time or whatever. Or there's one of them is like, hey, I've got this fashion show to go to. You want to come with me? And I'll go and we're laughing. Like just having a good time. And uh, most of my most of my board of directors are much, much older than I am. And so they're at a stage in their career where they might even be thinking about like, what's their next evolution? They've already gone through it. And so they're just kind of imparting what they've learned to me. And, and they enjoy that. And they get a fun plus one at events. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people. I've never heard the term sort of the personal board, right? So like I I uh, have this, you know, my my group, right, that are other professionals, same thing that I can sort of call to. But I've had a lot of people talk about they they don't want to sort of bother this person because either A, they don't feel that they can give back to them because, and to your point, right, they might be, quote unquote, more seasoned, more successful, and I agree with you. I, I look at this as someone invested time into me. So I'm going to invest time into someone else to keep that going. And I'm not really necessarily looking for anything in return. But when there is opportunity for me to potentially help someone who has continually helped me, I'm going to take advantage of that. And I'm going to try to sort of give that introduction or, or whatever that may, or even just kind of saying like, hey, can I keep an eye out for something, right? So like a little bit of that uh, reciprocation. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think some, there's some people out there that really just someone invested in them and they want to invest in me. And same thing, I'm sure you have some people where it's like, yeah, I'll sit down and have some coffee and see you talk about you know, how I, how I started being an ED and things to kind of focus on, but you're not expecting anything in return from mm-hmm. that. So sometimes it doesn't need to be a two-way street. Well, the thing is too, Misha, is that clothed mouths don't get fed, right? If you can't advocate for yourself, then why would you expect someone else to? And so the worst thing someone can do is either say no thanks or they don't reply and you move on. They're not the only person with that expertise or they're just busy, right? And you just have to understand that. I'll give an example for anyone who might be listening if you include this, but I was an intern at a law firm and I remember being in a meeting and there's this one woman who's the COO, so the right-hand person to the CEO who started as a secretary 35 years before she became COO at that law firm. And I remember she's, you know, a little erupt or just described as erupt, I should say. I thought she was great, but she was described as erupt Um, and people sometimes would roll her eyes and I'm like, she's badass. Like she doesn't care that people are sometimes annoyed by her. She gets things done. And I emailed her. I'm an intern and she's in the office outside of Pittsburgh. And I emailed her and I said, Hey, so-and-so I'm an intern for this project that you're like partially overseeing as a COO. I'm really impressed by ABC or D, whatever. Would you have like 20 minutes just, I just would love to talk to you as a woman who came up in this blah, 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 blah. No pressure if not. She emailed me. I think I had to send one follow-up before she emailed me back. And she said, hey, I'll be in town. 
whatever date, let's meet in person. And we met for an hour and she like just talked to me about what it was like professionally. And we didn't talk after that, but I gained so much. So sometimes personal board directors can be ongoing, but don't mistake to being able to even have like a one-off conversation with someone and just like shooting your shot. You never know. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I tell everyone all the time, ask the question, make the request, expecting a no, but you might get a yes. Mm-hmm. Right, you just gotta ask. Uh, what what's what's it gonna harm? Yeah. Uh, so I really love that. I absolutely love that. Um, so Nadilia, before we go into sort of our closing questions, I know that there was a lot of you know additional holes and rabbit holes that we sort of went Sorry. down. Is there anything you know? I <laughs> love sad. it. This I is love ending. it. I love it. Is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything like you personally wanted to share, sort of a story before we go into our closing questions? Oh, wow. You know, I think this might connect to some of the closing questions, but I think this year has been a really transformative year for me. And in fact, my birthday's in January and I'm like, instead of celebrating my birthday, I'm celebrating, I'm going to celebrate 2023. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Because, um, and I hope that people listening and, I, and I'm thinking of I'm trying to think of how do I package it in a way to help others because I feel so at peace with myself. But I think I started to realize, and this connects to, I think, one of your closing questions. There's a quote by Miles Davis that says, sometimes you have to play for a while to learn how to play like yourself. And I started to realize that I was playing for others for a long time. And in some ways, you know, and I don't mean like I want to help entrepreneurs, like it's more from the approval of others or the way others wanted to play. And I think I needed to kind of play different instruments and different genres to see like what feels right in my body and what makes sense to me, what speaks to me. Uh, And I think this year I really have learned to play like myself and I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. And it can be really scary because I think it can rub. Some people might not like your genre, might not like the way you play, might not like your instrument. But for those who really do, man, you are you feel at home with those folks, right? And I encourage anyone to go through the process of trying the different, you know, compositions and different bands and whatever, because I think that's important because you can also learn something new. But as soon as you can, try to learn to play like yourself because you start to realize what to say yes or no to. And particularly when you're really good at what you do, people will take, they will take as much as they can. And when you're no longer useful to them, they go to the next person and it's your job to preserve yourself. And that doesn't mean you have to be selfish. You can actually be very selfless still, but you have to think sustainability long-term of how can you continue doing and serving for what you believe in. And speaking up for that too. And I think the pandemic also helped a little bit to understanding who's actually important to you. And this year I thought about that too. Who's actually, whose opinion actually matters to me. And so I I think it's not a specific story, but um, there were certain occurrences this year where I realized like people will take as much as I, they can because I, because I'm good at what I do because I care. And as my mom would always say, you know, I don't care if you clean toilets for a living, be the best at it, be the person people are fighting for to get them to clean their bathrooms. And that's how I approach my work um, with a lot of integrity and improvement. And when you do that, people want, want, want you, right? And so you just have to know what is it that you want. Do you mind sharing 
was there like a specific moment in the last year where you sort of realized like I'm I'm playing to someone else's tune? Let me see if I can say this helpful, but vaguely enough to not get in trouble. I went to DC earlier this year just because I needed a change of scenery. It was like May or something like that. In January, I like self-proclaim I'm done with people pleasing, but that's like Instagram. You read that motivational quote and you're like, yeah. And then like, you're still doing the same thing. Uh, but like New Year's resolution. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. I remember being in DC and, you know, I'm, I'm more than just a sender, right? Right. I'm more than just a dancer. I'm more than just a Latina. I am multiple things. Right. And there was a situation where I was trying to add something else to what I wanted to do or what I am doing. And one of the other things that I was doing was like, well, I don't think you should be distracted by doing this other thing. You should focus on whatever. And I started to realize I was being pigeonholed into being one thing. I mean, and I realized like it's to their benefit because I'm awesome, right? But is that what I want? No one thing can fill your whole cup. Dancing doesn't fill my whole cup. Family doesn't fill my whole cup. Everything plays its own role and I need the certain balance that I require. And in that moment when someone said, you know, said that, I said, oh, they're speaking for what benefits them. I should too. (laughs) And, And I think in that moment, I also ensured that financially I created enough of a net so that I feel freedom to say yes and no to projects. And so there was one project I was working on. They're like, no, because if I, if I add another project, then I'm not working on the first project. I'm like, no, there's room for, for both of them. Also, the project number one doesn't demand my whole life, like doesn't command my whole life. Uh, and so I think in that, in that conversation, I realized, okay, if I don't stand up for what is important to me, someone else will decide for me. And if they don't like it, then good luck finding a better alternative. <laughs> and, the, you know, that's it. Does that, does that say enough without saying it all? No, yeah, it does. And, and my guess, my follow-up to this is, so you said around May, right? Mm-hmm. You sort of saw this shift. You saw this um, imbalance of values, if you will. How have you kept yourself accountable between now and then? I mean, is this... Yeah. Have you kept yourself accountable? Do you tell others? One, you're really good at questions. I appreciate, you know, your participation in in this dialogue. I appreciate your vulnerability in this, (laughs) Nadelia. This is amazing. So thank you. I would say one of the things I did was start to work out. And um, working out, I was a kind of an athlete growing up. So I really missed feeling mobile in that way. I'm not looking for, it's not from an aesthetics perspective at all. It's really like from an anxiety, mental health management. Um, I feel like I'm a, in terms of stress or pressure, I'm able to respond in a more effective way when I've put out a lot of that energy through dancing or cycling or weights. Um, I also, as I get older, want to maintain my mass. So that's the other reason I'm working out. But I thought about actually my employee, Anya, her boyfriend works out very often. And he says, I make it a non-negotiable, even if it feels like I had to do an overnight, you know, for work, like over 24 hour, whatever, I still work out. I still stop to work out. I make it a non-negotiable. Everything else will fit into place. 
And so I started to start do that with my workouts and make it a non-negotiable. I am working out and, you know, you have to be a little bit flexible, but it's mainly a non-negotiable. I would say 90% of the time that I have to do it. And if I didn't get that work done, then I need to reprioritize what's, it forces me to figure out what's actually important. Then like, just try to get as much done as much as possible. Because again, people will take as much as they can. And I, I run a nonprofit just to use as an example, I do consulting, I do other projects too, but I run a nonprofit. If you do a lot more, the foundations or whoever supports you is going to think, well, I can keep giving you at this level to do this amount of work. Why should I give you more to do the same work, right? And so I need to preserve myself. I have a person every Monday uh, who I go like, this is this is my goal. Here's how many times I worked out. I have just a friend and he tells me about his yoga practice, like how many times he went to yoga. And that's it, just to remind you. But that's what I do. I work out. Therapy is another one that I do. But I realized like, um, you mentioned this earlier, Misha, I think our inclinations aren't easily changed, but what we can change more more quickly is to identify in that moment when that inclination is occurring. So in that moment where I'm feeling nervous or I'm like, oh, I'm making, I'm going to do this because it'll make someone proud. Wait, what? I got to be making myself proud first. How do I feel about that? Am I stay up late for what? So I can feel crappy tomorrow for what? What is this for? And so I think it's just learning to, um, um, intervene for yourself in those moments and say, let's, let's choose differently this time. And then at some point you're no longer choosing differently because you've done it enough that that's your new norm. So that's, that's what it is. And I think it's also, and I'm, maybe I'm being serious, I'm <laughs> reinforcing the stereotype by saying this, but I think when women or non-men are really confident with themselves, they're seen as arrogant and I don't care anymore. <laughs> I said, like, I'm awesome. I have to remind myself I'm awesome because I think if you don't realize that, then you are constantly trying to prove that you are. And, I, and I'm done shifting from trying to prove who I am and I know who I am. I love that last... I mean, that last little bit, there's so many studies that shows, you know, between imposter syndrome and, um, you know, if you stick up for yourself, you're considered a B-I-T-C-H. Like, so much negative messaging to to basically keep women down and that's a whole other podcast. I'm glad I'm so happy to hear that you're, you know, not stepping into that uh and and you've sort of created your own narrative. I I've gone through a similar journey which uh maybe we could talk about another time, but it's a lot. It's hard. It's really really hard, but when you get to that place, man, is it it's just so much better to to be your you know, truly authentic self. And I hate to sort of use that sort of coined term, but to have that value alignment is such an amazing place. So congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. And it's helpful to have good people around too, to, to help reinforce that. But sometimes you have to fake it too, before you can feel at home with feeling that way. And then you're like, wait, this feels amazing. Yeah. I'm going to keep feeling this. But always make sure you have people who keep you humble. That part of personal board of directors still calling you like Nadili check yourself before you wreck yourself. Right. But, <laughs> but, uh, no, I rather this way. Well, we also rather you this way as well. And anyone who doesn't like go away. That's right. Oh my uh, God. Wait, so now that you're have... saying that, can I, I, I just have to, there's this awesome young rapper called Canary Yellow with a K and she has, yeah. she, she just went viral and she's seven years old. Her dad is in music. So I think that's where it comes from, but she look her up. 
it, all these affirmations, very age appropriate, uh, but all these affirmations. And one of the lines that I love that she says, um, if you can't stand me, you can have a seat. And it's, isn't that amazing? And she says a lot cooler than I'm saying it right now, but that's one of the things she says, if yeah. you can't stand me, you can have a seat. Like, all right, that's cool. You can feel however you want to feel. You can go over there. I'm going to do yeah, my thing. Someone stitched that on a pillow somewhere. <laughs> like, that's amazing. <laughs> so love that. <laughs> awesome. Well, did you, I have a, we have a couple of qu- closing questions. So first one is, what is your definition of success? I thought success was like money or um, accolades or that you, you know, did a good job. These are all really external. And so I would connect it back to really playing like yourself or learning to play like yourself when you do that. That is success because it it um, colors everything else that you do, right? Um, and so I consider really knowing yourself and acting on it and, and find the people that understand. And those who don't understand, do you see, sometimes you still need to work with them to reach your mission or your goal or whatever your calling is. If you have that luxury to be pursuing your calling, because I do find that to be a luxury. Uh, so I would say that. I, I will throw in a little bit of money if you're able to do that. I'm trying really hard to see how can I position myself in a place where I get to choose the work that I do to some capacity rather than what I have to do to feed myself. Um, and I'm not, you know, fully there yet, but that's, that's, um, you know, unfortunately we live in a capitalist society and so money to some extent provides some freedom. Um, so we have to, you know, understand that reality, but first and foremost is really understanding who you are and that's going to evolve over time. And it might also feel really uncomfortable. The first iteration of me doing that, I literally broke out in eczema, like patches. Like I was so stressed because I was really digging, digging into childhood relationships and all these things. But once you start to, over the years, keep working on it and feeling more like yourself and knowing where you stand, oh my God, you'll be like, I wish I did this years ago. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a real vulnerable question and we can cut it if it is too much. I am curious because you've mentioned your mom a lot throughout this interview as far as, you know, your mother's definition of success and your definition of success and how you've balanced those two. If you feel like sharing, if there's anything there, if not, we can go on to the next question. I think the way we define success, especially parents, is often based on what they experienced. So, you know, for my mom, she always said, I never want you to be knocking on my door asking for $20. I want you to be okay. And I think for her, that sounds right. (laughs) You know, that sounds right. Um, At the same time, she didn't get the opportunity to do work that fulfilled her heart. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so she might see what I'm doing and I'm working really hard. And she goes, that's just a job. Why are you doing all of that? Right. And she'll congratulate me. I think she's really proud of me for sure. But I don't think she fully understands what I do. And I think understanding that success for me isn't just money. I think for her, a lot of it because it provides greater, she wants more stability for me than what she experienced. And I'm saying I, I'm doing my best to be able to have both. 
And I think it's possible. And I think for her, she just wants to wants me to be okay. I think my mom has also matured over the years. But but I I think it's weird. I think my mom, my mom is like any mom who makes those passive aggressive comments sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, you're eating that pizza that must be really good for your workout plan. I'm like, mom, I work out so I can eat this pizza. Like you don't understand where the right? motivation is starting from. <laughs> Um, and, and I don't, you know, I don't blame her. I think I'm going to, you know, I have my own things and my own biases in the way I respond to folks. I think ultimately she wants me to be financially comfortable. She wants me to have kids, which I don't think I've told her yet that I don't. Um, so newsflash podcast, you know, you know, before my mother, uh, she, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm a little all over place with that answer. I think my relationship with my mom is actually very complex. Um, yeah. Because growing up, we were very... Much like any relationship yeah. with anyone's mom. For, yeah. for mine, yeah. very codependent. And actually was the first thing that I started to work on personally. She was the first person who taught me to people please. Because she's not a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Very, very mm-hmm. not a people pleaser. But under her roof, you got to please her. She's like, I'm the queen mm-hmm. of this house. You're my princess, yeah. Nadili, yeah. but I'm the queen. And um, I think she taught me a lot of good things, but also a lot of my bad habits. And I think that would be true for any parent. But I think success for her is a little bit different. But I think we've developed, I developed enough boundaries where she respects what my journey is now, even if she might not always agree. And I, I love though that you have from my perspective, and I don't know the whole situation, you have at least taken, you know, sort of what your mom has taught you, right? The financial portion and combine that with a a new definition of success. But that's a part of it, right? So your definition of success still introduces your mom's teachings and your mom as a part of the fabric of who you are but you've created your own definition from that. So I commend you on establishing that your own success. And I do think a lot of people have to unpack this, myself included, of what my mother's definition of success is and what my definition of success and probably even what I'm teaching my daughter of the definition of success. Um, And, you know, to kind of create your own after a little while. So thanks. I appreciate you talking a little bit more about that. Uh, what is the most memorable lesson that you've had from a failure? Oh, shoot. I, um, I forgot about that question. The most memorable, oh man, there's so many failures. I'll say what my therapist tells me when I'm scared of an incoming failure, or potential failure, which is like, you'll be all right. Do you know, like, it's going to be yeah. all right. It doesn't mean that it's not going to come with its own scars or, it might jade you a certain way, but it might also make you grow. It all these you're you're some of all the good and bad that has happened to you, mm-hmm. for better or worse. And so I think the biggest lesson is like, how do you reflect on what you can learn from this moment and then move forward? That's all Love you it. can do. Cause I think for me, you know, I, I had a lot of anxiety issues. I, I took medication for it. I've luckily been able to um, implement different practices in my life where I don't need that and others do, then that's totally okay. Whatever that helps you. But I would wallow a lot in this failure 
of or fear of, and it would just immobilize me. And that doesn't help at all. Help anyone, both the people I'm I'm working with, serving, or myself. And so it's just sort of you fail. What do you learn? What needs to be cleaned up? And then move forward. Um, there are a lot of incredible people who got fired, who, you know, brought down a company, who whatever. Some of the smartest entrepreneurs are the ones who maybe failed the first time. Uh, and so you just have to keep, keep or doing the it. second, third, fourth. Or the, exact, time, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say just to add to that too, and I'll, um, you know, quote one of my personal board of directors, Christine Ferguson, when I was telling her about my anxiety and I was finally like managing my anxiety a lot better. I was like, man, I don't feel as much urgency to do things. And I feel like my anxiety got me to excel so much in my life because I was like so particular and everything needs to be done. And I really stood out because I'm like, thanks anxiety. Uh, <laughs> but, and now that I'm managing, I'm like, where, where is that? I'm not like sweating it as much and I'm letting some things go. And, and I, I was like, should I be more anxious so I can continue being more successful? And she said something really wonderful. I was in her backyard tearing up. Um, Cause it's okay to cry folks. And, and she said, you know, Nadeli, can you imagine how much further you would have gone if you didn't beat yourself up before you got into the ring? So it's to say, yes, you're successful, but you're, it's always in you because this is who you are. And you would have gone a lot more if you weren't worn out from all this anxiety because you do good work regardless. And so not only is it from failure, but I think a lot of people get stuck on the fear of failure, of not getting that email back from that potential mentor, of not getting that job, of what does that person have to say? What happens will happen. You have to trust you have the personal tools or the people around you to help you get through it. So I, that would that would be the other thing I'd say related to that. I love it. Absolutely love it. So simple, but um, very, very, very impactful. Last question is, what uh, is one actionable item that you would give to another woman executive director? Therapy. <laughs> I, I would just say, I, I think therapy is one person in your personal board of directors. I would consider my therapist a personal board of director in, in many ways. I would say develop that personal board of directors because I truly would not have gotten this far. So I'm 30 years old. I'll be 31 in January. I would not get this far if it wasn't for the people who advocated for me, who in some ways I feel like I lived multiple lives because I've learned from so many other people about their experiences um, and what they did. And so I can decide through their wins or failures how I'm going to pursue, you know, what I'm going to do. So people often mistake me for older <laughs> because I've like, I'm like, what's the inverse of the hocus pocus? Like instead of sucking kids, you know, for youth, I'm like, I'm like, from my mentors, I'm getting older. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I would just said, get, get those people around you. You don't have to do, it's impossible to do this alone. It is just impossible. And so get those people around you, your age, older, all kinds of folks surrounding you to give you different perspectives and experiences that you can implement and help you find direction and be vulnerable about it too. They can't help you if you're just cosplaying. Right, love it. Nadelia, thank you so much for coming on and honestly getting so vulnerable with us talking about, you know, your career path so far. How can people find you? Uh, find a sender. 
AscenderPGH.com, uh, our website. Our handle is AscenderPGH across all platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, if you know me personally, my Instagram is really Nadili, but it's private, so I don't always add a bunch of people there. Uh, but you can always add me on LinkedIn if you'd like that. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem.